again, Revelation chapter 8, let's pray and let's dig into the word. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, we praise you, we love you, Lord. We ask now as we go to your word that your Holy Spirit would be our teacher. Lord, I thank you for everyone who's here, none by chance, all by divine appointment. Lord, we ask in Jesus' name that you'd minister to our hearts. If there's anybody here that doesn't know you, we pray, Lord, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, that we wouldn't be satisfied with saved souls and wasted lives. Lord, that you would stir us up, those that know you, to be busy about your work. So, Lord, be our teacher this morning. May we leave here with clarity and understanding, a greater understanding of who you are, knowing you better, because to know you better is to love you more. Lord, we ask these things in your holy and your precious name. We pray in all God's people said, amen. amen. So Revelation, you guys digging it? Revelation rocks, amen. It's good stuff. Well, the word revelation means apocalypsis. It's the unveiling. What's what the word means? Uh, so revelation is the unveiling of Jesus Christ. We saw in chapter 1, verse 19, the outline for revelation, the things which were, the things which are, and the things which are to come. Chapter 1, we got a picture of Jesus in heaven. He's no longer in a manger. And he's no longer hanging on a cross. He's seated at the right hand of the Father. Amen? In chapters 2 and 3, we saw the church age which is what we're in right now. Church is mentioned 19 times. You get to the end of chapter three, John is called up as he's given this vision from God, and now he has a heavenly perspective, and you don't see the church mentioned again until the end of the book when we come back with the Lord. So I've, I've, to me, it's very clear that the church is raptured at the end of the church age, and then we see the righteous judgment of God. Chapter four and five, we're focused on heaven, we have that picture of heaven. The focal point of heaven is the throne of God. Around that throne are 24 elders who are worshiping the Lord. The angels are around the throne. The, the, again, the, there's a sea of people worshiping God. We also know there's a rainbow around the throne. It's a reminder of his promises. Then chapter 6 and 7, we saw again, now looking down upon what's going to take place upon the earth, the judgment of God that is coming. So, in, in review, we've, we've looked at just seeing how the Lord desires that none should perish, no, not one. He loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. He sent his son to suffer and die that you could have eternal life. And God suffers long, but he won't suffer always. And last week in chapter 7, we saw kind of a pause between judgment, and now the judgment's coming back. So if you have your outline, chapter 8, I titled the message, The Storm of Righteous Judgment. And there's two points into this morning's text. Number one, the calm before the storm. You know, even though we don't always see it, God is always at work. Amen? Even in the greatest trials of your life, even the most difficult days that you go through, God will use it for his kingdom and his glory if you will but let him. So if you're going through a trial right now, no suffering is wasted and know that God will use it in your life. Heaven is a place of nonstop worship. And we're going to see in this morning's text that it grows silent for 30 minutes. I had a pastor friend of mine tell me, you know what, I'm sad to see there's no women in heaven. I said, what are you talking about? He said, because in Revelation 8, it says it went quiet for 30 minutes. So they're <laughs> just saying, <laughs> just saying. Not original with me, okay? <laughs> but in the midst of the worship, millions, literally billions more than likely, worshiping God. Angels around the throne, worshiping God. And then all of a sudden, heaven goes silent for 30 minutes. 
And it's all in preparation for the righteous judgment that was about to take place. We're going to see that in this morning's text. Uh, Silence is only proper response to divine judgment. In Psalm 76, it says, The earth feared and was still when God arose in judgment. It says in Habakkuk that, But the Lord in its holy temple, let all the earth keep silent before him. In Zephaniah, it says, Be silent before the Lord, for the day of the Lord is near. You know, all these people mocking God, all these people shaking their fists at God, all these people cursing God, there's a day coming when they're going to be silent before Almighty God. Amen? And we're not going to question God and doubt God and tell God, and I got questions, I'm going to tell God. No, you're not saying nothing. Can I get an amen to that? We're going to be on our faces before the creator of the universe. We're going to see in anticipation of the righteous judgment coming, that silence in heaven. Now, what's also interesting too is we're going to see some heavy judgment take place. We're moving into the seventh of the seal judgments, which begins the trumpet and the bull judgments, and they're all wrapped up in that seventh seal. God could have done the judgment so much quicker. Why is the judgment coming out in phases? You know why it is? Because it's just more of an opportunity for people to get saved. Amen? We saw last week there's going to be 144,000 army of, of Jewish believers, evangelists, who are going around witnessing. There's going to be an, an, the uh, two witnesses who are sharing their faith. They're going to get struck down dead and raised from the dead. And be sh- so the great tribulation is a time of righteous judgment, but it's also one last opportunity for people to get saved. He desires that none should perish, no, not one. So the calm before the storm, and then when the storm comes, God is in control. So even in the midst of God's wrath, his ultimate desire is to, is to redeem sinful man. At the same time, because he is holy, he must righteously judge sin. It says in Romans 1, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. In Romans 1, 24 and 25, it says, Therefore God gave them up to their uncleanness, the lusts of their hearts, to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. God's righteous judgment in this morning's text is going to be on creation and largely the, you know, the, the plants and the, the water and, you know, and it's the vegetation. And as I'm studying this this week, all I can think about, if we're living in a world right now that is trying to change everything about life because they're hoping to bring the temperature down by an eighth of a degree over the next hundred years because they're panicked about what might happen because of global warming or climate change or whatever they want to call it. Now look, we should be good stewards of the earth, but the warming people need to worry about, worry about isn't global, it's eternal. Can I get an amen to that? And the reality is that men, the Bible says that men will worship the creature rather than the creator. And we are living in a time where people are worshiping creation instead of the one who created everything. That, look, we should be good stewards of the earth, but we don't worship earth, we worship God. Amen? And all these other things that are taking place, the whole transgender thing, that is mocking who God created you to be, mutilating yourself, shaking your fist at God. I want you to know your peace will never come by changing who God made you to be. Your peace will come when you become the person God made you to be in relationship with the God who created you. Amen? And that's the reality. And so we're living in a time where, you know, creation's being mocked, male and female, 
being mocked. Uh, you know, God created the heavens and the earth. All of that is being mocked and all shaking their fists at God. And the reality is we shouldn't be surprised when people who don't know God act like they don't know God. So what should we be doing? We should be pointing them to the truth and that there is hope. And the hope doesn't come from fixing this planet. The hope comes from surrendering your life to Jesus Christ. Hope doesn't come from mutilating your body. The hope comes from giving your life to Jesus Christ. Amen. And that's what God has called us to do. So let's begin there looking at the storm of righteous judgment, the calm before the storm, beginning there in verse one. It says, when he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. As the rightful heir of the planet earth, the lamb, Jesus Christ, the only one who was worthy to take the scroll. Remember that in an earlier chapter, who can open the scroll? And it was only Jesus the scroll is ownership papers of earth. And so we know that right now that Satan uh, has some level of dominion over the earth. The Bible tells us that. But we also know that God is in control. But God is going to take ownership papers back. And so as he's opening the seal, he's the only one worthy to do so. And as he broke the first six seals, divine judgments were poured out. But when he broke the seventh seal, a unique response came. There was silence in heaven for about half an hour. So the first six, we saw famine and war and, you know, all kinds of judgments coming. But now the seventh seal, it's going to take those first six seals and the seventh seal is going to have all the bold judgments and all the sealed judgments in it. And it's only going to come to an end when we return with the Lord. So as all these judgments are taking place, if you're born again now, you won't be here. We'll be in heaven. Thank you, Lord. But we will be coming back with them. So why do we study this if we won't be here? Well, we need to study it to understand what the future holds for people that don't know the Lord. And we also need to understand the character of God in that he is a righteous judge. So John's vision has shown us up to this point is there is a God, uh, there's a good deal of noise in heaven. Heaven is not going to be quiet. Amen? And we get to heaven, literally, it talks about a sea of people as far as the eyes can see. So we got the angels around the throne, but then we have every believer who's ever lived, billions of people all worshiping God. And you know, uh, I just love, there's a, a song by Phillips, Craig, and Dean that just tells you I'm old. But there's a song by Phillips, Craig, and Dean called The Concert of the Age, when the great I am takes center stage and everyone around is just singing his praises. And boy, I can't wait for that. How about you? But in the midst of this, praise and worship that is constant. It's, so, it's deafening. All of a sudden, everything grows silent. Something's about to take place. All of heaven's in awe of what's about to take place. They're being quiet to see and watch and witness. From the thundering sounds that emanated from the throne, four living creatures who did not cease to sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, 24 elders around who sang praise songs, the, the angel who proclaimed with a loud voice who was worthy to open the book and break the seals. With the breaking of each seal, John heard the four living creatures sing with a loud voice, come. Cries of the martyrs. We know that we saw in a previous text that the martyrs cried out to God and said, when are you going to venge us? When are you going to bring vengeance upon these people on the earth? Which tells us that people in heaven have some understanding of what's going on on the earth. Now, people have struggled with that because the Bible tells us that there's no tears in heaven. So, we've all, you know, my thought I was always, well, they can't be looking down here because everybody would be crying. Amen. 
But that being said, God can also bring us to a place where he shows us certain things, and we don't understand heaven until we get there, amen? But they're looking for righteous judgment. And the angel cried with a loud voice to the four angels, was granted to, the, to, uh, to harm the earth and the sea, saying, do not harm the earth or the sea or the trees until we have sealed the bondservants of our God on their foreheads. Remember last week in chapter 7, we saw the mark of the beast. So what the mark of the beast is going to be is it's not going to be you know, anything that you get tricked into. You're going to know you're doing it. You're going to be surrendering your life. It's going to be the church is gone. The Antichrist has risen up. He's got an answer for the worldwide famine and wars and everything else. And people are going to line up under him. And the only way you can buy or sell and, and, and work is to take this mark of the beast Number 666 will be on your wrist and on your forehead. And it's amazing when they, you know, you look at the Bible 2,000 years ago, people thought, what does that even mean? But boy, now, could, I mean, couldn't you just see you walking into a store and you got a chip right here and you just go boop, right? And you pay for your groceries that way. Or you just walk in and out. And certainly it's the technology is there. But I want you to know it's not going to be something that simple. It's going to be something where you're literally aligning yourself with the Antichrist. Now, it does say of the believers... There will be believers who take the mark of the Lord. And the word for it in English language, in the original language, actually is the letter T. So you'll have a, a letter T on your forehead. The T is, what's that a picture of? Cross. She'll either be marked by the cross or by the Antichrist. And the people that were marked with the cross, again, many of them will be martyred for their faith. And again, so you're going to know which side you stand on during the Great Tribulation. Can I encourage you, don't wait till the Great Tribulation to figure out which side you stand on. You're either for him or you're against him. There's no, there's no kind of saved, amen? You're either born again or you're not. You're either a saint or an ain't, amen? You either know the Lord or you don't. And so if we know the Lord, we should be unashamed of him and we should make a stand for him. John saw a great multitude which no one could count from every nation, all tribes, peoples, and tongues, standing before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches were in their hands, and they cried with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne, and to the Lamb. And to all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. All the shouts of praise, the cheers of adoration, the thundering, thundering sounds coming from God himself on the throne. And then there's silence. Think that got heaven's attention? All of a sudden, it's huge, and it just gets silent. And I believe at that point, now the focus is on earth and what God, what's about to take place, is God is going to pour out righteous judgment. It's going to be contrary to what heaven is like for that short amount of time. This will be the calm before the storm, no doubt in awe and expectation of what is about to happen. Silence is the only proper response to the divine judgment of God. I already quoted the verses, they're right there on your outline, in Psalm 76, Habakkuk, and Zephaniah. And the numbered in heaven of this awesome moment, again, the millions of angels, the billions of saints, you know, the hundreds of millions, again, all around the throne. And in the midst of all of that, silence come, and there's no time in heaven. So this is just John's perspective. When we get to heaven, you know, there's no time. Because time was created, God's outside of time and space, and time was created for the earth.
But in a place of constant praise and worship, silence for a half an hour is going to seem like a long time. And Almighty God, though justified to judge righteously, takes no joy in bringing divine judgment upon man. It says in Ezekiel 33, As I live, says the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from this way and live, turn from your evil ways. You know, that's God's exhortation for all of us. He doesn't want any of you to spend eternity in hell separated from him. But you have a choice to make. You either follow God or you follow yourself. You either chase after the things of this world and listen to the enemy. What are the three things that we fight with as believers? The world, the flesh, and the devil. Amen? Devil can't make you do anything, right? He can try to tempt you and, and you can respond to it. Uh, again, the, the world around us, you become like who you hang out with. If you want to know the kind of person you are, look at who you're spending time with. That's why fellowship is so important. But I believe more than it's the devil in the world, most of the time it's just plain stinking us. Amen? I told you guys, I get up every morning, I look in the mirror when I'm shaving and say, you got to die today. Amen? Because we got to die to self. And so this is the spiritual battle that is taking place. And now we're going to see God's righteous judgment coming upon those who've had opportunity after opportunity after opportunity after opportunity to be saved and have shaked their fist at God, wanted nothing to do with him. The witness of the 144,000 is on the earth. They've seen two people raised from the dead. They heard about it, no doubt, before the tribulation. And now that moment is coming where God finally says, look, I've suffered long, but I won't suffer always. And he's going to begin these judgments that will take place over a, a period of time. And we will see again, sadly, that many people, no matter what they see, will continue to reject God. It says in 2 Peter, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. But the very next verse says this, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So that's not global warming, that's God's righteous judgment, amen? So they're panicking about, you know, trying to save this world and again, be good stewards of it. But the destruction of this world is not coming from anywhere but the hand of Almighty God, amen? It's not going to be anything else. It's not going to be because you're not driving an electric car, amen? It's not going to be what happens. It's just not. By the way, I like the, the sound of a V8 all day anyway, so praise the Lord. It's right up there with barbecue. It's good stuff. <laughs> you know, God takes no pleasure in judgment, but because he's holy, he has to judge. Amen? He doesn't take pleasure in it. I, don't take, I never took pleasure in disciplining my children, but because I love them, I had to. Amen? Those who the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he takes no joy in it. But this will be the hour when the saints who are who died are going to be vindicated. When sin is punished, when Satan is vanquished, when Christ is exalted, and all of, he of heaven will stand in silent awe as the judgment is being poured out. Look at verse 2. And I saw seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. So the seven angels, the use here of the, uh, this definite article appears to set it apart as a unique group. Now, in the Bible, we only see a couple of angels named. There are some other writings, historical writings, that name these seven angels. I don't know how accurate it is, but their names that are written are, are Uriel, Raphael, Michael, Sariel, uh, 
uh, Ragel, uh, Gabriel, and Remiel. So we know Gabriel and Michael for sure, because they're, they're named in Scripture. So these seven angels are set apart, and they're given trumpets. And as, they, as each of these trumpets is blown, a new set of judgment comes. And as the judgment comes, again, it's righteous judgment that is deserved, but it's also an opportunity for people to repent. As the judgment comes and they see the power in the hand of God. Remember at the end of the sixth seal, where were all the people at the end of the sixth seal? Where were they? Hiding in caves and in the ground. I said a few weeks ago, the most expensive real estate during the Great Tribulation will be holes in the ground because you can go hide. And so here they are, they're hiding. And again, they're still recognizing that this is God's power. More time has passed. More of God's righteous judgment will come. And so these angels, again, these seven angels, uh, Luke 119 says, I am Gabriel, and I, that stands in the presence of God. Whoever these angels are, they stand before God, and they're given the seven trumpets. Seven in the Bible is the number of completion or perfection, amen? On the seventh day, he rested, amen? And so this is going to be the righteous judgment of God. Seven angels, seven seals, seven, seven trumpets, seven bowls. Now, the trumpet's the most significant musical instrument in all of Scripture, my dad played a trumpet when he was a kid, and when I was in eighth grade, you know, they make you play something poorly and horribly and make your parents come listen to it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, for like five minutes, I tried to learn how to play the trumpet, right? And I actually wish I could play it because, you know what, it's in the Bible, it would summon the congregation, you know, shofar, they would blow it and all the people would come. It's it sound the alarm in times of war, knowing it's time to go to battle, to announce news at religious feasts, to acclaim, proclaim uh, new kings in worship, and to announce coming judgment. In the New Testament trumpet sounds at the gathering of the elect, at the rapture of the church, as the resurrection of the dead, as the description of the voice of God, and at his second coming. These, second, these seven trumpets will sound God's battle alarm during the great tribulation, as each one will bring God's divine judgment. So the first four we're going to look at this morning announce the divine destruction of the earth's ecology. It's going to bring righteous judgment upon this planet. Now, we know when we come back and rule and reign with the Lord for a thousand years upon the earth, there's going to be a new heavens and a new earth. Amen? So the one we're living on now is going to be basically destroyed. And so if you're putting your faith in holding on to this planet, and again, be a good steward of it, that's not the answer. And I'm so, I had a client a while back, most of you guys know, I, about three weeks ago, after 35 years, I became full-time at the church, and I'm thankful for that, and it's a blessing, more available than ever, and I appreciate that. Get to study more. By the way, I do prayer walks, and if you put a prayer request in there, I'm walking around, I've spent several hours, you know, multiple times a week, and I'm just going to be praying for you. So if you want to be prayed for, fill out a prayer request, drop in the agape box, I promise you'll be paid for throughout the week. But I had a client, and he said to me, I'd had him for years. He goes, well, I know you're a pastor, so you probably don't you know, warn people about global warming. I said, no, no, I, I do. <laughs> yeah, it's not the global warming you're talking about. He goes, well, my brother's a scientist, and he's so panicked that the world's coming to an end that he just won't leave his house, and he's scared. I said, well, if you don't know God, you should be scared. I said, there is a global warming. Well, it's actually eternal warming, and it's going to come for all those who reject God. And, and the Bible says in the last days, men will worship creation rather than the creator. 
And so, guys, we need to put our faith and our hope in the Lord. Amen? And that's, and again, it's just, the enemy is doing all this to distract people. Everything's a distraction. To, I would just love to see a couple of politicians or people in positions of authority get up and say, look, let's stop talking about global warming. Let's talk about Jesus Christ. Amen? There's a true and living God. This country was founded as a Christian nation, whether you believe that or not. And the reality is we need to get back to the Lord. There needs to be revival in our land. And that's going to come when Christians quit keeping their faith to themselves. You know what? People come out of the closet for a whole lot of stuff. It's about time we come out of the closet for Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? So the first four trumpets announce the divine destruction of the earth's ecology. Next week, we'll see the fifth and sixth trumpets that produce demonic destruction of humanity, and then the seventh trumpet will introduce the final outpouring of God's wrath contained in the seven bowl judgments. Look at verse 3. Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Another angel, not one of the seven angels holding the trumpets, but one holding a golden censer. Now, a golden censer was just a box. And this golden box used in the Old Testament tabernacle. Again, remember the tabernacle is a model of heaven. When you look at the temple of the tabernacle, it's a picture of heaven. We don't have time to go through all of it, but as we know, you have the, you know, the altar, the bronze altar where the sacrifices were made, right? In four points, they were stri- you know, the, the animals were tied down. Again, that's a picture of what Jesus did on the earth. The bronze altar is actually the perfect size for a man to lay down. When Jesus died on the cross, he died from his head, his feet, and both of his hands, four points. So all the sacrifices on the bronze altar were pointing to Jesus. Then you had the bronze laver where they would go, the priest was covered in blood, and he would cleanse himself. Again, that's a picture of, of water baptism or being cleansed by the shed blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. Well, then you enter into the holy place. The veil opens at that first you know, gateway into the holy place, not the holy of holies. And when you go in, you have the golden lampstand. Jesus is the light of the world. Then you have the table of showbread. Jesus is the bread of life. Then you have the altar of incense, and this is where this comes in. The altar of incense, the priest would go in every day, throughout the day, make sure the incense kept burning, that it never went out. And so they were lighting it. And what it did is it was right outside the Holy of Holies. By the way, if you're going to Israel with us, we're going to go to an actual recreation of the tabernacle, and we're going to walk in and see all this, and you see the exact proportions. It's pretty cool. But here's the thing. The go- that altar is there, and when, it, when, the, when this incense is burnt, it would go over the veil, and it would go into the presence, the place that the Ark of the Covenant was, in the Holy of Holies, where the presence of Almighty God was. So it was a picture of the constant prayer of the saints. So where is Jesus right now? He's seated at the right hand of the Father, making intercession for us. That's what that altar of incense pointed to. So the point is that he's bringing the prayers of the saints. All the prayers that they have prayed. Lord, when are you going to put a stop to this, these people that are persecuting us, those who have martyred us. And now God is going to answer their prayers. Again, the censer was used twice a day, morning and evening, to take fiery hot coals from the brazen altar where sacrifices were offered and transport them to the holy of place and to the altar of incense. We then use the coals to ignite the incense whose smoke would then rise toward heaven emblematic again of the prayers of the saints. How many guys need to pray more? Okay. Bible says you should make my father's house a house of 
pray without ceasing, for this is the will of God. I love to say, I wake up in the morning with, yes, Lord, your servant hears. I ask God for divine appointments and opportunities to share my faith. And then I pray for, you know, just multiple prayers. And then I just don't hang up. It's like you, you get God on speakerphone when you wake up and just leave the speaker on all day. Amen. And you just talk to the Lord. And, you know, people might think I'm crazy. I don't care. They'll just think I have, I'm on a Bluetooth anyway. But I just talk about the Lord. <laughs> So without the altar of sacrifice, the incense could not be ignited. Do you notice that? See, the coals come from the altar. The picture's Jesus dying on the cross. See, only because Jesus died on the cross can we intercede with the Father. Amen? Amen. Only because of his death on the cross, only because he died and said, it is finished. And when he did, the veil was torn and we can enter to the Holy of Holies anywhere and anytime. We're the most blessed among people and our lives are dry and we struggle because we don't spend enough time in God's word or in God's presence. Amen? You're as close to God as you want to be. And just as incense is precious and pleasant and drifts toward heaven, so do our prayers. You ever think about that when you're praying, God's listening? Here's them all. Here's them all. Here's your prayers. There's sweet-smelling aroma in His presence, it tells us. Without the fire from the altar, there's no aroma, there's no smoke. doesn't ascend to the holies. That's why the prayers of man mean nothing. You pray to the Father in the name of the Son and the power of the Holy Spirit. So someone who is praying to uh, the vegetable God or Mary, yeah, anybody else, one of the saints, right? It's a waste of time. I was be yelling down the well. Amen? When I was in India, you know, you'd see all the, I mean, literally, there are gods down, you'd walk down the street, there'd be 30 different gods on the street. And people were on their knees praying to these gods. And it's, it's heartbreaking. They're praying to a, you know, a statue of an elephant. And you're like, Lord... Lord, they know that they need God, but they're looking in the wrong place. Amen? And it breaks your heart. You want them to see the true and living God. Guys, we know the true and living God. We're not worshiping a dead ceramic animal that someone created. We serve a risen living Savior who has triumphed over sin and death. So the prayers of man that are not ignited by a sacrifice of our Savior upon the cross of Calvary, set aflame by the indwelling power of the Holy Spirit, produce nothing in the presence of God. But when our prayers are ignited by the redeeming sacrifice upon the cross of Calvary, they enter into his presence with power. The fire is stoked by the empowering of the Holy Spirit. They rise like smoke into heaven, into the Holy of Holies, the very presence of Almighty God, and they are a sweet-smelling aroma to our Savior. Notice it says there, much incense, symbolizing the multiplied prayers of God's people. Are you bringing much incense before the Lord? Our prayers are not vain babblings. I hear this often, and I've probably said it myself. You, you try everything else, and then when you've tried everything else, you go, well, I guess I can pray. Right? Well, we saw 18 doctors. We did 47 other things. You know, we, we got the essential oils. Right? We did everything, right? Tried it all. And, and then, oh, I guess I could ask God. God should be the first place we go, not the last place. We should seek him constantly, seek him daily. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. I pray for divine appointments every day. And uh, there was a knock on the door and it was a delivery. And I go out to open the door and usually they just drop it off and leave. And the guy's standing there. He's like, hey, I like the stickers on the back of your car. Are you a believer? I said, yeah. I said, I'm, yeah, I'm a believer. I pastor church in town. He goes, your name's not Dave Johnston, is it? I go, well, yeah, it is. And he said, oh yeah, I go to God speak. And, and Rob mentions you from time to time. Can you pray for me? I said, yeah, I pray for you. He said, can I give you a hug, bro? Yeah, we can give you a hug. Guys, God will just bring people your way. You know, you, just, you have to get out of the way. Amen? 
The eyes of the Lord search to and fro among the whole earth, seeking one who can show himself strong on account of one whose heart is loyal to him. God is looking for people to say, Lord, use me today. Get, bring me an opportunity to talk. I, I didn't do anything. I answered the front door. Amen? <laughs> right? Just, just being available, and God will use it for his glory. And, you know, the Lord desires that we, ha- we be people of prayer, and we be people that are walking intimate fellowship with him, so when we hear a still small voice, we can respond in obedience to him. Look at verse 4 and 5. So that, that smoke, that incense, is a picture of the prayers of the saints, and the prayers of that, 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 that altar, that incense, has come into the presence of God, and now God's going to respond to the prayers of his people. It says, And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints ascended before God from the angel's hand. And the angel took the censer filled with the fire of the altar and threw it to the earth. And there were noises and thunderings and lightnings and an earthquake. The prayers of the saints ascended before God. And while we may not always feel like it's true, we may faithlessly doubt or question it at times. So how many of you have ever said in your life, God just doesn't hear my prayers? Have you ever had a moment where you just said, he doesn't hear, I prayed, he didn't answer. So he always answers, yes, no, or wait. Amen? We don't like wait. I'd rather get no. Amen? Because wait means I'm not even sure he heard me. Amen? We need to be patient. But notice that when they're praying, they're seeking the Lord. He's crying out to God. He hears their prayers. Guys, we pray in our time. God responds at his time, and his time is perfect. Amen? This righteous judgment coming upon the earth will be answering prayers from thousands of years. He'll be answering the prayers of the people that are in heaven. And you know what? It's going to happen in God's perfect timing. Our prayers do indeed ascend before God. He not only hears our prayers, but they are sweet and precious to him. Is there anything you love more as a parent than one of your kids to crawl up in your lap and just say, you know, Daddy, I love you. And, and Daddy, can you help me with this? I mean, is there anything that's going to distract me from that? And I'm an imperfect dad. How much more does our loving Heavenly Father love it when you crawl up into his lap and you share your heart with him? And guys, we don't have to hide from God and we don't have to be eloquent to talk to God. Amen? Just just speak to him. He's your Heavenly Father. You can speak to him and he will hear your prayers. It's a blessed opportunity to bring our, our needs, our concerns, our burdens, our trials, our heartache, our heartfelt praises of adoration into the very presence of Almighty God. The one who is greater than our deepest needs, cares about our every concern, is willing and able to carry our burdens, calms us in the midst of the greatest trials, brings healing to every heartache, is worthy of our praise and adoration. If we truly believed all of that, we would pray more. Amen? In India, at the end of every service, I've been there seven times, we were helping plant churches there, and, and, uh, and when these churches, these pastors would come from a great distance... And I would spend like a week with anywhere from 100 to 1,000 pastors teaching them how to study and teach the Bible because they didn't have a lot of commentaries and a lot of their languages and just teaching them how to study and teach the Bible. And then at night, I would go out to the village of one of the pastors every night and I would speak at their church. And by the way, they were on time. Just saying, okay? And they would travel a great distance, many of them barefoot to be at church. But what was amazing to me And this happened literally every single time. At the end of every service, I would say, if anybody here wants prayer, why don't you come forward? And guess what? The whole church would come forward every single time. 
The service itself will last two and a half hours. They want you to teach for two hours, or they think it's, you know, it's a waste of time. If you're going to come, then preach it, right? But they would, they would two hours. Of, and you know what? Do you know that after service, the prayer would last longer than the whole service? People were lined up around the building waiting to be prayed for. Here in our country, we say, anybody needs prayer, come forward, and you could have a church of 1,000 people and two people come forward. Now, again, I'm not trying to make people feel guilty. I'm just saying that they believe in the power of prayer. Do we believe in the power of prayer? We need to, amen? Again, it's not a last resort. It's not an empty ritual we sprinkle on, on, you know. Guys, it's not a prayer life when you only pray over your Wheaties. Can I get an amen to that? Dear Lord, thank you for this food in Jesus' name, amen. That's not a prayer life. I've seen people in restaurants pray and, you know, try to, dear Lord, they don't want anybody to know they're praying. They act like they're yawning. But guys, we should be unashamed of praying. Not a last resort. It's not an empty ritual. It's not a magic potion or a vain ritual. It's a privileged communication with the creator of the universe who loves us, knows us, and cares absolutely about every detail of your life. In context of this morning's chapter, we know that one of the main focuses of of the prayers of the saints was for deliverance from their persecutors, the righteous judgment upon them. In Revelation 6, we saw it. How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? Here the Lord will answer their prayer. He takes up the censer and he casts it down to the earth. And again, God takes the prayers of the precious people and answers their prayer by, again, pouring them out on the earth and casting them back, symbolizing God's answering of the prayer. For persecuted believers, for martyred saints, the prayer not done to get our will done on heaven, but God's will done on earth. Again, it says into that verse, and there will be noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. The prayers of God's people go up in God's presence, and God answers their prayer. And again, as that censer is cast down, again, we pray in our time, he answers in his time. We can go frustrated praying for things for years. Amen? Some of you go, I I don't do that. I'm frustrated after three days, right? Lord, I've been praying for like an hour. What's up, right? And we have this mentality, but we must learn to trust that God will not only give us the answer that's best for us, but we'll do it in the perfect timing for us. And praise God for his faithfulness and sovereignty and the need not to fear or be anxious because truly God is in control. Then it says in verse 6, so the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared themselves to sound. So here it is. He sends it down, and on the earth there's thunderings, there's noises, there's lightnings, there's an earthquake. And then the seven angels stand up. They're each holding a trumpet, and they're going to blow them one at a time. And as each trumpet is blown, a different part of God's righteous judgment is going to come upon the earth. It's part of the seventh seal being broken, the final seal of the deed of the earth, the scroll that only Jesus is worthy to open. The seventh seal contains both seven trumpet judgments and seven bold judgments, the righteous judgments upon a sinful world and people, unlike anything this world has ever seen. So ominous again that heaven will be quiet for 30 years. So the angels prepared themselves, and they're going to act on God's command. So point number one there, the calm before the storm. Storm is about to take place. We see all the preparation for it. It's happening in God's perfect timing. We can, be, we can know that God's at work even when we don't see him working because it's going to take place when he's ready. And now here comes the judgment in God's perfect timing. People today, again, are very concerned about saving the environment. Fears about depletion of the ozone layer and pollution, the destruction of rainforests, global warming. And again, we should be good stewards of the earth. God told us, you know, it's in our care. But we also know that this earth is not going to survive. In the end, it's not going to. 
And again, there's a passion to conserve, to save endangered species. And I totally, I believe that. I'm all for that. I remember watching, though, uh, I remember watching a, a documentary. It was on, like, I don't know, National Geographic or one of those. And there were these eight guys, and they were out trying to save a whale. And they said, if a thousand people have to die to save this whale, it's worth it. I disagree with that. I want to see whales saved. Amen. We love all animals, right? They're gifts from God. But you know what's eternal? People. And the only thing we're taking to heaven with us is people. Amen? I know you love Fluffy, but God loves you more. Amen? <laughs> there is a passion and concern, again, to save these things. But for many, protecting the environment has become far more of a concern than, than a concern for health and safety. It's become an issue of idolatry to the place where, you know, where I, you know, I grew up in Santa Cruz, right? I've told you it's, you know, as liberal as a day is long. And they have these bumper stickers that say, worship your mother. And it's a picture of the earth. I'm like, that ain't my mom. Can I get an amen to that? But there's a mentality where people worship the creation, again, rather than the creator. There's no question the fallen man has failed in his responsibility to properly care for God's creation. That's absolutely true. And we should be good stewards of God's creation. But the damage man has done to the earth pales in comparison to what God will do in one day. All this global warming, all this stuff people are concerned about, watch what's about to happen. It's not man's carbon footprint that's going to change the world. It's just not. Living in Santa Cruz, I had a customer that said, when you come see me, you have to take the stairs. If you don't take the stairs, I won't see you because the elevator is bad for the carbon footprint. Whatever. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm like, bro, really? That's what you're worried about? You're worried about me taking the elevator from the first floor to the third floor and that's going to destroy the earth? No. Revelation 8. Amen? God's righteous judgment. While God has again been tolerant and long-suffering with the sinful and rebellious man, God will not permit the present state of affairs to continue forever. You know, we look at what's going on in the world around us, we wonder why God hasn't judged already. But the reality is that we're thankful, and we should be thankful, because that means that more people are going to get saved. Amen? God's righteous judgment will hit the earth just as those who survived the first six sealed judgments are crawling out of their caves and rocks where they futilely attempted to hide from the fury of God's wrath, and here comes more judgment. They could have gotten saved during that time. Some people will. There'll be people that will get saved. There'll be people that give their life to the Lord. Here's the first judgment. Vegetation is struck. Look at verse 7. The first angel sounded, and hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth, and a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The first of seven angels sounds the trumpet and hail. Hail is frequently associated in Scripture with divine judgment. In Isaiah 28, it says, Behold, the Lord, uh, Lord has a mighty and strong one, like a tempest of hail, destroying and a destroying storm, like the flood of mighty waters overflowing, which will bring them down to the earth with their hands. God's righteous judgment is coming upon an earth that has refused it to repent. It says that it will come down as fire. Psalm eleven six. Upon the wicked he will rain coals of fire and brimstone, and burning winds shall be the portion of their cup. Hail on fire, we see in Exodus 19, the plague in Egypt, God's judgment for the persecution of his people. So hail on fire. Now this is a precursor to what something else we're going to see in another judgment later. Later, there's going to be hailstones that weigh 120 pounds on fire falling from the sky. Where do you hide from those? Nowhere. Fire mixed with blood. 
It's reminiscent of Joel chapter 2, verse 30. It says this, And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before the coming and great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Amen. See, as that hellfire is coming down, people can cry out, Okay, Lord, I get it. I, I believe it. I was wrong. I surrender. I give my life to you. I truly believe millions, millions will be saved, if not hundreds of millions, during the Great Tribulation. Again, God is going to have a witness on the earth. The specific cause of the hell and fire mingled with blood thrown to the earth. Some have supposed it's a volcanic eruption. I just think it's God raining it from, from heaven, because that's what the Bible says. Amen? Notice it says here, it doesn't tell us how it happens, but it tells us what the devastation is. One third of the trees and all the grass is burned up. If you're a landscaper, you're out of work. Amen? Can you imagine if all the grass on the planet was burnt up and one third of the trees disappeared? By the way, ecologically, what, what do trees give off? Oxygen, right? Tell me there's not a God. Stop it. So we breathe out what? And what do trees take in? And then what do they give out? And what do we breathe in? Come on. Did not go from the goo to the zoo to you, and it was some random thing that exploded, and all of a sudden all this stuff works perfectly. That's the hand of God, amen? And so when the trees burn up, what's that going to do to the oxygen level? What's that going to do when there's no grass? The world is going to be in a bad place. Imagine forest fires burning a third of the earth's trees and all the green grass at the same time. Effects of the earth's ecological system will be devastating. Crops destroyed. Death of animals on a massive scale. Mingled with blood means there's going to be death. Loss of wood for construction. Destruction of watersheds. Fitting judgment for those who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator. Fallen mankind has failed to recognize and honor God as the creator, choosing instead to make a God out of the earth. But the, environment, the environmental evolutionary pantheism that devalues man elevates plants and animals and ignores the creator, and they will be severely judged for it. Earth Day. We need God Day. Earth Day that year is not going to be any fun. Amen? The world will be scorched. The world missed the message of creation. God will destroy the messenger. A third, one third destroyed God's showing restraint. Could he have just wiped out all the trees? What's the answer? But he doesn't. It's coming, but he doesn't. Why? It's an opportunity for people to repent. When we stand before God on judgment day, no one's going to be able to say, but nobody told me. No, nobody gave me a chance. Why didn't somebody tell me about the Lord? Why didn't somebody, you know, cry out to God for, I, I, I wish someone had told me. I truly believe, this is Pastor Day's opinion, I believe that people that don't know the Lord when they stand on judgment day, I believe God's going to show them every time they had a chance to be saved. And if you're not, not saved and you're here today, this might be one of them. Amen? Desire the nun should perish, no, not one. So he could have destroyed them all, but worse judgments were to follow. Look at verse 8 and 9, second judgment. The sea struck. Then a second angel sounded, and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea, and a third of the sea became blood, and a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. 
Imagine something coming from heaven the size of a mountain and it hits the ocean. What does that do? It causes huge waves to take place. And then a third of the sea is going to turn to blood. And why are, they, why are the ships going to all turn over? Because if something that large hits the ocean, waves are going to be massive and they're going to see all the... By the way, so if you're here during the Great Tribulation, don't go on a cruise ship, okay? But here's the thing. We should just be in heaven and you won't have to worry about it. Amen? So while the first trumpet fell on the land, the second trumpet falls on the sea and this great mountain. John doesn't know exactly what it is, but he describes it as best he can. And evidently a giant meteor, asteroid, whatever it is that God sends down, flaming gases set ablaze by the earth's atmosphere. And I imagine the whole world watching the event on television and on their phones. Can you imagine? They'll probably have meteor watch, you know, right? They'll be waiting. It's coming. You know, where's it going to hit? We don't know for sure, right? And they're going to be all panicking. And again, if you know the Lord, we don't have to panic about anything. We don't have to be afraid of anything. As the world's telescopes will no doubt see it coming from millions of miles away. Attempts may even be set to try and stop it. It will strike somewhere in the world's oceans with an explosive power far beyond an atom bomb, and the results will be devastating. A third of the world's creatures in the sea will die. So again, we're trying to save one whale, right? And I get it, and I'm all for that. That's fine. But again, the judgment is coming where there's going to be great destruction. A third of the ships will be destroyed, again, as the tidal waves hit. Military vessels, merchant ships, cruise ships, yachts, all destroyed. So we see a third of the vegetation, a third of the trees and the grass, a third of the waters, and then uh, fresh water too. Look at verse 10 and 11. Then the third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven burning like a torch, and it fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. And the name of the star was Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood, and many men died from the water because it made bitter. A great star here, the word can refer to any celestial body other than the sun or the moon. This great star burning like a torch, possibly again a comet, we don't know, but will disintegrate when it hits the Earth's atmosphere and will poison a third of the world, the Earth's fresh water sources. Wormwood, directly translated, means undrinkable. It's going to hit the water and you can't, you're not going to be able to drink it. Now, you don't have to go home and buy a bunch of water and put it in your garage right now because you're going to be in heaven when this happens, amen? But it's coming. See, there's going to be no escape. You can't hide. The judgment's going to... Now, again opportunity to get saved, opportunity to fall on your, for the people that are here to fall on their knees and repent and get right with God. In Proverbs 5, Solomon warns that immorality might seem pleasant, but in the end it produces bitterness like wormwood. In Deuteronomy 29, Moses warned that idolatry would become sorrow in Israel like the root producing Wormwood. In Jeremiah 9, God says of rebellious Israel, Behold, I will feed them as people with wormwood and give them poison water to drink. The water is going to be so poisoned that when people drink it, they're going to die. That's what the text just said. I was thinking of like somebody stranded in the ocean, right? They're out in the ocean and they start, you know, you know when you get thirsty and you start drinking the ocean water, if you drink enough of it, it, it kills you right? You can't. So the, the food supply is devastated. Now the flesh water has become poison. And during this time, two witnesses will be praying for no rain. A third of the fresh water will be undrinkable. And finding fresh drinking water is going to be a difficult task. Many men will die from drinking the poison water. Man's rebellion has left a bitter taste in God's mouth. And he's going to give them a taste of their own medicine. And again, God doesn't rejoice in judgment, 
but righteous judgment must come because he is a holy God. In so doing, without fresh water, more plants, more trees, fish will die. So the first trumpet, vegetation. The second trumpet, seas and ships and sea-dwelling creatures. The third trumpet, fresh water. The world's ecological system is a total mess, and things are about to get much worse. Look at verse 12, the fourth trumpet. Then the fourth angel sounded. So each of these times, one of the angels comes up and he blows a trumpet, and the first one, vegetation, blows a trumpet, seas, blows a trumpet, fresh waters, blows a trumpet. And we don't know the amount of time between each of them. doesn't mean they're happening in the same day, but they're happening over a period of time. Look what it says. And the fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, a third of the stars, so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine, and likewise the night. The first three trumpets affected portions of the earth. This trumpet will affect the entire globe. Some suppose that it will be caused by changes in the atmosphere, but whatever the cause, a third of the sun's light is cut. That means temperatures are going to drop drastically, right? Increased darkness will not only affect nature, but will no doubt increase crime and wickedness. What happens if you just make it dark all the time? Right? Whenever you, you, you see what happens in the midst of, of mayhem, that people start looting, and you see, you know, there's, there's lawlessness running rampant. All this will be taking place. I wonder what, the, wouldn't it be amazing to hear what the evening news would sound like during the. Well, we got another problem. I actually think it would be a great, like, short story to do, to do like a video of what what a 15-minute news program would sound like during the Great Tribulation. We'd have pictures of all the stuff that's taking place, right? The temporary drop in temperature, the great heat's coming soon, will severely impact the Earth's weather patterns, leading to unpredictable storms and tides, destruction of crops, further loss of human and animal life. Old Testament prophets associated such signs in the heavens were of the day of the Lord. Isaiah wrote, Behold, the day of the Lord is coming cruel with fury and burning anger to make the land desolate, and he will exterminate its sinners from it, from the stars of heaven, and their constellation will not flash forth their light. The sun will be dark when it rises, and the moon will not shed its light. Again, they didn't want to walk in the light, so God's going to give them the darkness they've always wanted. He's the light of the world. If you reject it, he'll just give you the darkness you've always wanted. And again, when we read this, we don't want to rejoice in it at all. It's heartbreaking. Amen? It's heartbreaking. We don't want to see people endure this. That's why, we're, that's why we share our faith. We don't want anybody to do this. But that being said, you cannot shake your fists at God, tell God you want nothing to do with him, tell him to leave you alone, stay away from me. I want nothing to do with you. I curse your name. I blaspheme your name. And then he lets you be on your own, separated from him. You're just being given the very thing that you're asking for. Open people's eyes, Lord, please. We want to see people saved. Last verse. Look what it says in verse 13. And I looked, and I heard an angel flying through the midst of the heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth, because of the remaining blasts of the trumpet of the three angels were about to sound. So all the stuff that we've seen is heavy enough, but it's about to get worse. And he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. The angel flying, saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Man's heart is so hardened, they still refuse to repent. 
God's giving them an opportunity to repentance and most sadly, digging in against God's judgment. Guys, in the end, God wins. Amen? You cannot silence him. You cannot remove him. You cannot just ignore him. In the end, what will matter is what have you done with God's son? Don't rebel and force God to bring judgment upon you, but get on his side. Amen? God will move his blessings from the thankless. He owes us nothing. He desires to save you, but he will be forced to judge you if you reject him. Nothing greater he could do than give us his son. See, when people read this and they get angry, like, what kind of God is this? This just doesn't seem fair. What kind of God would do this to the very people he created? Understand, and when I talk to people like that, I'll say, well, I was born here. It's not my fault. I didn't choose to be born here. Now I'm born here, and now I have to face the judgment of God because I just reject him, and I don't give my life to him. That just seems, I don't like that. I said, well, I don't think I should have to pay for my sin. I said, well, who do you think should pay for it? I don't know. God created me. Maybe God should pay for it. He did. Amen? If you're mad at, you can't be mad at God because he provided the solution. You can't be mad at God because the solution isn't the one that you want. By the way, get over yourself. You're not that important. Can I get an amen to that? Well, if I were God, well, you're not. Thank you, Lord. Can I get an amen to that? The two undeniable facts, there is a God, you're not him, and I'm thankful that I'm not him. None of us, amen? And so we get, it's our pride and our arrogance that will keep us from surrendering to the God who loves you so much, he'd rather die than live without you. That's our God, Amen. So that was a feel-good chapter, wasn't it? (laughs) Send that out with your Christmas cards. Nothing less than a whole Bible makes a whole Christian, amen? Revelation 8's in the Bible for a reason. Because it's a warning for all of us that God's righteous judgment must come. He has waited 6,000 years. He's given all this time, right? The Bible says a day is to a thousand years as a thousand years is to a day. Right? So it's been six days in God's economy. Seventh day he rested. We're going to rule and reign with him for a thousand years. We don't know the day or the hour that he's coming, but we do know that we are in rapture season. Only God knows. Amen? That being said, we're now going to go to a time of communion appropriately enough to remember the greatest act of love in all of human history. See, the reason that people will endure righteous judgment is they reject the cross. They reject the drawing of the Holy Spirit. They reject the repeated reaching out. God will never force himself on you. So as we go this time of communion, we're going to do three things. I encourage you to do this every time we take communion. Look back. The Bible, Jesus said, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. On that night when he was about to be crucified, he told him, just remember me. So guys, when you're holding the cup in your hands, look, maybe you're a Christian, you've been a Christian a long time. It's easy just to take it for granted. Like this is just something we do. But that's his body broken for you and his blood shed upon the cross. So look back and remember the cross. Look within. The Bible says that we should examine our own hearts before him. Be there any wicked way. Maybe it's a time of repentance and getting right with God. But we also look forward because Jesus said to the apostles in the upper room, he said, the next time I will do this with you, I will do it in heaven. I'm looking forward to communion in heaven. How about you? So I want to say this beforehand. Communion is for believers. If you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, this is not for you. But if you've not given your life to Jesus Christ, you can change that right now. The Bible says if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, you will be saved. If you confess me before men, I'll confess you before my Father in heaven. If you deny me before men, I will deny you before my Father in heaven. The worship team will come on up. So I want to 
I'm going to pray with you right now, and then we're going to go to the time of communion. They're going to hand the elements out. So first, I want to pray with anybody who wants to give their life to the Lord right now. I'm going to give you an opportunity to do that. And then when you get the elements, I want you to hold on to those, and we'll take the elements together. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you. We praise you. We love you, Lord. You are indeed a great and an awesome God. And Lord, we ask as we go to this time of communion, we truly would do this in remembrance of you and the greatest act of love in all of human history. Lord, we know that communion is for believers. And I pray if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you, that today would be the day of salvation. If you're here this morning, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you prayed a prayer and walked an aisle when you were young, but you know you don't, you've never really surrendered your life to him. The word repent means I'm going in one direction. I recognize my need for the Lord. I'm going in a way that's going to destroy me. And I'm going to turn around and surrender my life to the Lord. If you've never surrendered your life to him, if you're ready to make him not just Savior, but the Lord of your life, for him to write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, and the prompt, the, you'll have the promise of eternal life, then when the church is snatched away, you'll be snatched away with us. If that's your desire. I just want you to raise your hand where you are, and I'll pray with you. Anybody at all. Don't only if you're without the Lord. Lord loves you so much, you'd rather die than live without you. It's a gracious God, a loving God, and a merciful God. Lord, we thank you for your love and your grace. Again, as we go to this time of communion, may we have intimate time with you as we prepare to take these elements that are a picture of the greatest act of love in all of human history. We ask these things in Jesus' name.